Welcome to the final Michelle Miao show of 2021 at the Commonwealth Club of California. Thanks for all of you who are here in the room. Thanks everyone watching and listening online. It's great to see you and glad you're here. Uh, now, the Commonwealth Club, of course, even during the pandemic, we've been doing hundreds of programs. Michelle has been doing quite a few of them as well. And we know you've been watching them, and, and uh, we've had some very big names this past week and or this past year, and lots of interesting topics. We'll get a little bit of a highlight of those a little later before we have our panelists come out. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce Jade, who will open our live program with a couple songs. Here's Jade. Okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, first, I would like to thank you, Michelle, for having me uh, tonight here. Uh, and it's an honor to perform. It's not my first time here, but it's first time on the stage. So everyone, please show me your warm applause. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sing I'm gonna sing a couple Chinese songs. Um, I don't know how many of you under, understand Chinese, but I hope you enjoy the music. Song 叫我堅毅望著前路仍記起溫馨的一對手叫我堅毅望著前路是你多么温馨的目光叫我堅毅望著前路I still feel so happy for you. You have a, such a great daughter, Michelle. Thank you, thank you. Chai,回望,上手于彼此的晚上,红红迎视你,将我的心中艳阳,如流所泪,期望可体恤见见亮。
可星星将在各一方，只好深深把这刻尽凝望。来日纵是千千阙歌，飘于远方我路上。来日纵是千千万星，亮挂今晚月亮。都比不起这烧美丽，亦绝不可使我更欣赏。啊，因你今晚共我唱。临行临别，才断感哀伤的漂亮。原来全是你，令我的思忆漫长。何年何月，才又可今宵一样？停留凝望里，让眼睛讲彼此立场。当某天雨点轻敲你窗，当风声吹乱你扣上，可否抽空想借张旧模样？来日纵是千千阙歌，飘于远方我路上。来日纵是千千万星，亮挂今晚月亮，都比不起这烧美丽，亦绝不可使我更欣赏。啊，因你今晚共我唱。啊怎都比不起这烧美丽，亦绝不可使我更欣赏。因今宵的我共你唱，来日纵是千千阙歌，飘于远方我路上。来日纵是千千万星，亮挂今晚月亮。都比不起这烧美丽，亦绝不可使我更欣赏。啊，因你今晚共我唱，来日纵是千千阙歌，飘于远方我路上。来日纵是千千万星，亮挂今晚月亮，都比不。起这烧美丽，都洗不清今晚我所想，因不知那天再共你唱。Thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you for everyone. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jade. That was. That was wonderful. So this is our year-end Michelle Miao Show program. We've been doing this every year since Michelle started doing her Michelle Miao Show here at the Commonwealth Club. This past year, Michelle and I got to co-host with her quite a few programs. We talked to some interesting people, great topics, and uh, I think it's time we take a quick review of this and see what the highlights of 2021. So let's roll the video. Asians, I think uh, Asian sense of justice isn't about the individual getting his or her rights back, but it's about a collective justice where um, people take care of each other. So just to say for myself, I'm happy that I made some progress, but not happy when my sisters and brothers are still struggling wherever they are, not just the Asian community, but all all the people of color and suppressed people. It's fun having her behind the camera. Yeah. Have you noticed yeah. that? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Good. Oh, she's on her knees. <laughs> God, I haven't had a woman on her knees for me for a long time. <laughs> This is Sally Gearhart. Um, but the, the more we get to know Sally, the more we realize that she was, as she said in her own words, um, I think it was her good, good friend, um, Morgaine, who told me, Sally used to tell people, I live in Northern California on a mountain of contradictions. <laughs> because it is rather difficult to get something tangible out of here to India. 
We still have a million masks sitting somewhere on some port. We don't know where it is uh, that someone donated. Um, funds always go a long way. But, you know, our community wants is that love, is that care and someone showing up. You know, black communities have a long history of fighting for more people than ourselves because we understand very deeply that our um, livelihood and our survival um, is intertwined. Uh, and so I'm going to continue that um, in the spirit of APA Heritage Month. And I'm going to continue to make space and room for these conversations that need to be had. And I'm going to continue to do um, what, you know, my mom and my grandma and <laughs> all my family ever taught me, which is that um, we belong to each other. If we want to get better as, as a country, we, and by we, are right now I'm just talking to the majority of white people, um, we need to take responsibility, not, yes, I didn't, you know, I'm not responsible for slavery, no, but I need to be very honest about the fact that I've benefited from a system. And I think the also the false belief is that white supremacy is enacted only by white people. Because I'm part of it, too. If white supremacy is the air that we breathe, if it's the water that we're all drinking, then we have to unlearn it. Every every one of us needs to unlearn it and excavate it from within us. And for me, as a Muslim, as an Arab, as a citizen, and as a friend and as an ally, I will work every single day with our Asian community to get rid of that fever and um, to, stick, to, to stand together and make things better. When I was coming out, I had no hope that we would ever have marriage equality. I had no hope that we would have employment equality. I think that legally... We've made such huge gains, and it's societally that the gains are a little less pronounced. But I think right now, the work is not as huge as we think it is, because my, at least from my point of view, racists will always be racist. They're unapologetic. I'm not trying to win their hearts. I'm not trying to change their minds. I'm writing them off. I will not have anything to do with those people. I will try to get through this. Um, I was told at 28 I would not live to see 30. I'm now 60. Today is also the 30-year anniversary of my partner's passing. And um, usually I didn't want to do the panel today because I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to be in public. But I'm kind of glad I did because um, I think I'm the San Francisco success story when it comes to HIV. And it shows that if you give people the right tools, if they have the community, if they have the people behind them, um, we can thrive. And, um, you know, I also lost my dad to COVID. And I just, and all these are hard. But I'm realizing, you know, it just is. It just is. And um, I feel really blessed. I have incredible friends. I have people who believe in me, like Ignatius, <laughs> who used to live here. Like, please don't nominate me for anything or ask me to do anything else. But, you know, and Cecilia, I mean, Cecilia... Things didn't look great for you in the 90s, but here you are today. And we have so many people that we don't have the time to acknowledge, but I just feel that knowing that I'm part of this legacy. Okay, I got us up. It just, I don't know, there's just so much love that I feel and so much gratitude and grace. So it's December, but I'm going to use recent Thanksgiving holiday as an excuse to pass along some further thanks before we bring out Michelle and our, our guests tonight. Uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who has watched our programs, who's shown up for our programs in person, who likes the videos and shares the videos and likes and comments on our social media posts. All that helps get out the word about our speakers and what they want to talk about and engaging them in uh, all of the conversations that we seek to have in our lives these days. Um, we also want to give a big thank you to the Leo T. McCarthy Center at the University of San Francisco for sponsoring tonight's program. And also thank you to our friends at Weatherford BMW of Berkeley for sponsoring the food and drink that you're going to be eating right after this program out there in the Hormel Lounge. And last but definitely, definitely not least, we're grateful for tonight's delicious food from Tejo, Oakland and Sap Fair.
Now, it is my pleasure to introduce Michelle Miao, the producer and host of, you've guessed it, the Michelle Miao Show, and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Michelle? Where'd the rest of the panel go? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, everybody, come on out so we can briefly introduce you. So we've got a great group of folks here tonight that we're going to recognize. So make your way onto the stage. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for our annual end-of-the-year program here. And like John said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone who's been a part of this journey and this ride. Now, it is without a doubt that it's been incredibly challenging for all of us, but this year I felt it was very important that we bring on members of our community, members of our LGBTQIA+, AAPI community, and to just rewind and also come together to get through the trauma and the challenges together because we know that it has been extra, extra hard for us. But these individuals up here powered through COVID-19 like we all have, and not only have powered through it, but have stepped up and have given back and have taken care of their community. And so I'm so excited to have them here with us. Let me briefly introduce to you all. We have Angela, Anjali Remy, who is the executive director of Parivar. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Michelle Mijan Kim, who is an activist, um, outspoken uh, activist, by the way, and also an author, and during COVID-19 launched her book in which we did a program. You heard what she had to say. So author of The Wake Up, and books are available uh, after tonight, and so we'll talk a whole lot more. Yes. Cesar Kadabis, who is a performing artist, and oh my goodness, can't wait to get dive into what he's done during COVID-19, but basically has launched a one-man show and has a slew of many things that he does for the LGBTQIA plus community. Thank you, Cesar, for being here with us. And Denise Huynh, who is from Teho and kept us all fed even when things were shut down and closed. So thank you, Denise, for being here. Thank you. And last but not least, Jacqueline Vivian Chang, who's an artist and community member and also has been very involved in the LGBTQIA plus community through corporate work. And we're excited to showcase her artwork tonight. Thanks, Jackie, for being here with us. So, yeah, let's dive right into it. It has been a challenging year. Why don't each of you take a couple minutes or so and tell us what was the pandemic like for you? Anjali? Well, good evening, everyone. And thank you, Michelle, for continuing to keep our voices going and uplifted. I think the pandemic has really changed our identity. So let me introduce yourself. Myself, Anjali Remy, pronouns she, her, they, them. And I'm so many things, and the world has changed. Each one of us has been woven by the grief and the compassion and the empathy. For me, I don't think life would ever be the same again, and I'm trying not to be emotional. I stepped back into a country that I left 20 years ago to save my parents, who both had COVID, and angels like you showed up and gave us food when we literally had nowhere to go once we got back. And from an organization standpoint, you know, I'm with Parivar Bay Area. We are South Asian trans-centering, trans-led, but we are with a global mindset, very local in California, and we had to step up um, and save hundreds and thousands of trans hijra lives. Uh, first, you know, uh, globally and starting in India, then Guyana, and the work continues. And we, what we've really been able to see, sadly, is that the further marginalization, further isolation continues of our intersectional existence as being API queer trans folks. Thank you, Anjali. Mm. Michelle Mijang. I mean, no big deal. He wrote a book during COVID-19. <laughs> 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 I 
Oh, man. Thank you for this space, and thank you for the work that you all do. Um, I'm a huge fan of all these folks, and thank you for being here on a Friday evening. Uh, my name is Michelle Mijang Kim. I use she, her pronouns. Um, and what a big question. <laughs> How's the pandemic <laughs> been? Um, it feels like one thing that I want to acknowledge for myself and for so many other people is that so too many people did not make it through the pandemic. And I just saw the most recent number for the U.S. being 800,000 deaths so far. And when I think about that, so my grandmother, my last um, living grandmother passed away um, this year in January. And I remember the kinds of folks who came to the funeral. And I think this is what Clint Smith also wrote about in his recent article about how each life, how each person's life can impact so many others and how easy it is for us to forget the deaths that have occurred and for us to move on. So I, I grapple with that. I grapple with all the memories that I've made over the last couple of years and the things that I've been able to overcome and, um, and also not overcome, but also so many people who weren't given the opportunity to do so. So I just want to um, name that for myself because it's easy for me to forget and forget the gravity of it. And I think for me, this period has been such um, a period of trauma, but also reimagination. And I think about the quote by Grace Lee Boggs often, where she talks about how we need to reimagine everything. And I think that's such a um, wonderful, but also frightening task ahead of all of us to be able to reimagine what the world should be like. Because I think what the pandemic has done is to really reveal the cracks in our movement and the cracks in the infrastructure and also the connectedness of all of our lives, not just in this country, but globally, how we are so truly interdependent and how we are so um, lacking in practice and how we get through our lives as an interconnected community. So I think that's what I've been thinking about a lot and grappling with in terms of what's, what can we do with this reckoning in so many different ways, whether it was uh, the racial reckoning or the reckoning that um, led so many of us to realize that we are lacking in so many things in order for us to survive together collectively. Um, and also, I'm just so grateful for the community solidarity that I've been a part of um, and the resilience of our local community that showed up for one another and being able to be part of this type of space and celebration. So I'm honored to be a part of it and just really thankful. Great. I made Michelle cry when she did her program. <laughs> She's now making me cry. Uh, no. Will you take turns? So sorry. I was just yeah. waterworks that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is a big question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I moved to San Francisco in the mid-'80s, and so this COVID is not my first pandemic. And there was a lot of historical trauma that was brought up, um, seeing so much death, seeing so much suffering, seeing so much ignorance and fear. Um, you know, and as, as an artist, um, and as somebody who leads an art artist group, uh, Gappa Theater, um, it's been a struggle to try to create art. Um, but I remember this quote, Toni Morrison's, it says something like, now is the time for artists to create. Uh, this is how um, we move. This is how civilizations heal. And it is true. It's also very hard to acknowledge everything that you've gone through um, in a pandemic like this, and then all the social unrest that's been going on as well. Um, COVID gave people a lot of time to think, and there was a lot to think about um, during these past couple years. Um, Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate, um, the unraveling of democracy. Um, 
Yeah, but it is. It is. Thank you for creating, um, for doing, providing space today. Um, I work. We worked with Michelle this past year, Gappa Theater, um, and we've been grappling with what to to write, what to create, what to put on stage. Given what we do is storytelling and talk about what's happening in our lives, and to talk about what's happened in the last two years is very. Traumatic and very. There's a lot of struggle for it. And one of the things that we wanted to do is have community conversations about the pandemics, about the political upheaval, about the history um, with Asian and Pacific Islanders in this country. And Michelle graciously opened up um, this space to have three conversations, and it was just creating access um, for it was a tremendous gift. So I want to thank you for that and. Yeah, um, the conversations on the Gap of Theater website. So <laughs> take a look at those. Thanks. Denise, what was the pandemic like for you? Oh, wow. Um, just like a lot of us, I didn't think it was going to last this long. Mm. Well, two months, three months, half a year. Um, so when the shutdown came in, I was like, "Oh my God, this is real. This is like, you know, this is this is really is happening." So for us, you know, the restaurant, you it's just day to day. You you think of like three months. You plan three months ahead, so you like order stuff. And you know, for us, we had just gone out and just okay. So quarter one, we're gonna go. You know, we order all the wine that we need from France because it's you know taxes are gonna go up, and that way we could save a little. <laughs> and uh, we got all the stuff, and then um, March hit, and I had uh, you know we all had to close down. And um, for me, it was um, what am I gonna do with the food I just ordered this week? And so um, the the immediate was to hey, my staff just you know. Take them, you know, go in, take whatever you need. And um, I don't want it to go to waste. I mean, being Asian, I'm like, I hate wasting food. And um, so so we started with that. And and then there was, you know, we took a, a week to really, like, try to figure out what to do next. Um, and my brother and I decided to, we're going to have to cook something because we can't let you know, none of us could really eat this, you know, restaurant. There's like, there's like seven staff. How much can they all take? So we're like, oh, let's just, you know, prep and see what we do. So we decided to open the week after. And uh, we prep a lot of food thinking, you know, people are be hungry. They don't want to be coming out and get food. And uh, at the end of the week, we had all these leftovers. I'm like, what are we going to do? So um, I have a brother who at the time worked at Highland so, like, hey, let's just take it over to Highland and, you know, the nurses over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like foods is, you know, you can't just, you know, let it sit for three days before you serve it again. So um, we took it over there. So that's just really the start of it. Um, just And you realize that, oh, my God, these people are working around a clock. And some that work like 36 hours, I'm like, it's like it's it's beyond me and. At that time, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And, you know, every week and, you know, we're going to do what we can. And I have a lot of friends who work in the, um, um, you know, the front lines. And that's what we started doing. And then we got involved with a lot of, you know, with other uh, feed the front lines. And then we uh, community kitchen. So that's how it got started for us. Mm -hmm. And really just keep our kitchen lights open, too, as well. So... I mean, I'm just grateful just to be a part of the community. The community really came together to to help us, you know, stay open and also just, you know, really, you know, I had people came by just to say hi and just to make sure that we're okay. Uh, and, you know, and I realized that, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I work in this, I live in this community, but I never really thought like or, or never really you know, this 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 was beyond me. The the love that you know the community community has given us, and the people, and you know the the loyal customers and friends, and you know they've traveled just you know hours just to get to you know once a week just to get food from us and 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 support us. So it's been amazing, but it's been a long ride. We're not out of it yet, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and and thank you for 
for having us tonight. Yeah. And this is it just really like I'm, I'm nervous being up here. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm not good at talking to people. And you're doing people, great. So. Yeah. <laughs> And Jackie. Oh, gosh. Um, what a question, right? Uh, the past year, the past two years, I would say, this pandemic has taken me to a very reflective place. Mm-hmm. Um, I echo the sentiments of uh, the folks on the stage about loss and trauma. Um, and just for me, I got to a place where I was starting to internalize a lot of the pain that we, we saw in the media and the news around us, the death toll rising every single day, the anti-Asian violence that was happening in my own community, in my own backyard, in the places that I frequented, not as a novelty, but as my lifestyle, right? And, um, and something actually happened to me early on in 2020 where I was held up at gunpoint, um, where it was an attempted robbery slash carjacking. And I was lucky, of course, to get away with my life and my belongings. But what I realized months and months later is that it actually robbed me of my sense of security and safety and knowing what is right and wrong in the world and Mm -hmm. um, how to perform and how to show up every single day. And so for me, it's a little bit different. I'm an artist, but I also, as a starving artist, I work a corporate job, as we all do. Um, and so it was straddling these two worlds and understanding what is it that I can do to contribute. Um, and I felt that, you know, with this pandemic, all this loss around us, at the core of it, people still want to see beauty. People mm-hmm. still want to believe in positive positivity and light and for a while after, you know, trying to navigate the trauma of, you know, having a gun, you know, in your face and staring down that barrel of the gun, um, I really was in this space where I was paralyzed. I wish I could say, oh, gosh, that led me to, you know, paint and um, motivated me to jump right into my creativity, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. The reality is I was so paralyzed by my fear. I was actually afraid to, you know, go upstairs in my own home, you know, and... Um, but I realized from that that I want for nothing. I'm so fortunate. Um, and again, echoing some of the sentiments that you all shared, I'm so fortunate to have clothes on my back and a warm home to sleep in that I told myself, you know, if people are fighting every day just to live, just to survive, you can fight through your fear to find yourself and create something beautiful. Your contribution is to contribute light, right? Create a safe space so... Again, on the corporate side, um, you had mentioned that, you know, I lead an LGBTQ ERG for my company and it's finding programs like yours and partnering with voices like yours where we create safe spaces for people. So in short, I guess it's this pandemic has brought me brought me to a place of reflection. Right. And to be very, very intentional with everything I choose to do. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Each of you have touched on, you know, this this part of us, this r- resiliency and also the inspiration just to kind of keep going. And we kind of take and borrow from each other, though. Like when one of us is depleted, you know, the other one lifts us up. And so I'd love to hear from each of you kind of what kept you going? What what where what what where did you draw your inspiration from? Anjali. <laughs> Hard one, hard one to follow after hearing their beautiful stories. And um, I think your, my, one of my biggest inspirations is right here. I think we need to give it up to Michelle. Yeah. For, you know, for doing so much in a pandemic. And this is a true reflection and epitome of what truly we stand for as queer people of color. We showed up when very privileged folks, and as being as a trans person, I'll say cis folks, uh, that had luxury, had comfort. It was these folks who showed up, the leaders who stepped up, and they didn't even look for those titles or such. They just showed up, you know, and they started helping artists and undocumented folks. Um, 
I think my greatest inspiration for me personally is to make sure that pandemic or not, not another human being has to go through what I've been through. I've been at the verge of, you know, trauma, violence, racism. I've been homeless right here in this bay. And it, it, that's what's driven me. But also seeing those stories that should not have happened, those trans lives that have been wiped out in a pandemic we have the highest number of trans people killed in America. Sorry, I didn't issue a trigger warning. Uh, 403 globally, if records, you know, whatever, are available, and over 50 in America. It's not inspiration, but it's needed very much for action, you know, for us to stop that. And in a pandemic, you see further neglect and further just leaving behind of folks. You know, one example I can give you is Many organizations, um, you know, stepped up to help globally. And if I take the case in point of India, where we were kind of very grassroots, very small, and we started reaching out to our communities, we have about 44 what we call Sital warriors that reach these grassroots communities across 26 states. India is a huge country. And all these large organizations would, would say that they are helping the LGBT trans community, but you really realize that there's this one leader in the trans community who's knocking on those doors, getting those resources, getting those rice bags, and getting it to the people. And it just inspires you to know that you're in the global north and your responsibility to do is a lot more. Mm. Yeah. Michelle? Thank you. Yeah. Um, inspiration, I feel like, is not um, what I was able to find this yeah. during this time. It was a, that's a, I'm trying to f- figure out the right word for that. But I think for me... Maybe strength. Maybe drawing strength. Yeah, maybe going. it's strength. Yeah. Um, and I think it's... So I wrote my book. Um, the vast majority of the book was written earlier this year. And... For me, I think I felt a huge sense of urgency in writing um, and uh, desperation. That's what kept me going, mm-hmm. if I'm really honest about what I was feeling. It wasn't, you know, one day I wake up and I'm so inspired to write um, this passage about systemic racism and white supremacy. It was that I, I felt desperate to heal myself and to put words down in a way that would historicize what was happening around me and within me. Um, and I think from your stories too, seeing the reason why I do this work and really going back to the root cause of the why, the, the real why behind why we do this work, why I do this work is because I don't want to see people that I love die. And I think sometimes we shy away from the frankness of this conversation, but it's truly life or death for so many people, even before the pandemic, right? And I want to, I think during this time, that message got even more desperate for me to write down and shout and spread um, because I felt like I I could die. And I feel, I felt like I, the people that I really love, who, who's my family, my chosen family, my community, queer and trans people of color, though that's the, that was the birthplace of my activism when I came out as queer in high school, and that's, that was the home that saved me. Um, and knowing that these types of events, whether it's the pandemic or the continuing systemic oppression, white supremacy, imperialism, all of these forces, really the people who are at the most risk of dying are the most marginalized people. Mm. Um, So I think that's what kept me going. The fact that I had this opportunity for me to write something that was going to be published. um, And I have a, what small big of a platform that I have to be able to put down into words what was happening so that it doesn't get lost because so much of our story. And I think the flavor of uh, oppression that, Asian people face in this country is erasure. So what, what can I do? So how can I do my part so that we are not forgotten? So that all of this pain, all the trauma, all the healing work that we're doing gets documented, gets written about, and I do the healing work myself so that I feel okay taking up space 
because I think for so long I didn't give myself permission to really do that. Um, so I think those were the, the components that kept me going. And of course, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weekly therapy session. Um, and I, I talk about this in my book where I, I think in order for all of us to heal, healing cannot be an individual burden to bear, right? That we need to actually create the conditions in which that we can heal and conditions where the same type of violence continues, doesn't continue to happen then how do we actually heal when we are continuously traumatized by the same violence over and over and over again? Um, so I feel like part of what kept me going is also thinking about that. How do we actually create the conditions for us to be able to actually heal, not just through self-care, through a spa trip or bath bomb, but you know, for good, sustainably. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cesar. Um, I think for me it was just the fact that living through what we lived through with HIV and so forth this, and with COVID happening is that you have to find a way to respond um, whether that response is just making sure you stay healthy and you don't put yourself in a position to get COVID and spread it to other folks um, or responding to friends or family who feel isolated and there's nothing that you can do about it, but you try to find a way to make a connection. Mm. Um, and artistically, our response was to look at our, our mission to make sure that these stories are told. Um, and I think what also moved me was people... And we, you know, for performers, it was a total shutdown of our our experience as, uh, as storytellers, as actors, as performers, because we had to, everything got shut down. We could not perform. And then people like kind of gathered around Zoom <laughs> and tried to do that, which we did. Um, and it was a struggle because we're so used to being in a space with an audience and feeding off that energy and sharing that energy. Um, and that was really, really difficult over Zoom, but we did it because it, these stories were important. And what also further inspired me um, was just people's response to it. People identifying whether it was stories about um, Asian hate or COVID or HIV or coming out or family. Um, it reminded me that through our stories, through our experiences, uh, whether we're Asian and Pacific Islander or not, whether we're young or old or men or women or transgender or non-binary, that we are connected. There's a lot of ways that we, all of our struggles um, and our joy is interconnected. And that continues to inspire me as, as hard as, you know, we're going through, we may, we, we're going through another surge with a new variant and so forth. And it's, it's a struggle to not be ruled by fear, but continue to respond, but also to find joy. And instead of just surviving, to thrive. Well said. Well, that's hard to follow up with that. Um, <laughs> um, what inspired me really last year... Uh, not really. It's inspired. I think it just, uh, it's more about um, put your head down and just go to work, um, taking care of, you know, the business and taking care of the people. So we were um, a three-man band, my brother and I, and um, and um, one front of house staff. And we kept it going because we were afraid to put the older um my mother is 68, so, um, and the aunties in the kitchen, they're all in their 50s and 60s, so uh, it's more about taking care of the family and not have them be out in the public and just, you know, um, put their life in danger. And, and for us, we're just, uh, it's all about survival, and, and I, I felt it was um, a duty. Um, it was more of just, this is what we do, um, it's not about, you know, um, being, 
better than anyone or i mean it's 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 about taking care of the business and taking care of each other and um and it was a duty for us to and i felt that as we start feeding people and and the front line it just uh the the people that came back and and thank us and right. and brought us you know uh and it just it, it was overwhelming at first but then that's really kept us going too because that was i felt that was our duty that's is for us to step up because you know when you think of restaurant people are like oh you know just another restaurant um when you go in the restaurant we don't get the respect like you know, if you go into see an artist or, you know, because it's, oh, just restaurant worker and these people are like just, you know, they're, they're working in a restaurant. Uh, but it was our, I felt like we were being kind of, excuse my French, but kind of like, you know, uh, piss on a little bit. But, you know, for us to, it was our chance to step up and, and feed the public. I mean, feed, feed the frontliners and, and um, I mean, it was just what we had to do. Um, to keep it going, and a lot of restaurants in, in Oakland were doing the same thing. I mean, not over, not just us in Oakland, but people really stepped to the plate and mm. stepped up to the plate and really did what we had to do. So, yeah. I mean, survival, right? And and just going to work and just just being out there. And um, for us, being a queer, uh, woman-owned business, I had my flag up. It's, you know, it was sort of like, a thing of like, hey, we're here, we're queer, and you know, this is, um, this, you know, this is our voice, and we're we're gonna do what we can um, to to help out and just be a part of this, you know. So we're here. We're here. <laughs> Jackie, you know, um, inspiration, similar sentiments. I don't know if that's really the word I would use, but. I found it fascinating that um, in the political climate that we were in in 2020, right, it took something so horrific that we all saw in the media for people to act, for people to get angry enough to do something about it for the first time for a lot of people, right? They found activism during that time, which I applaud and commend and I welcome, but this is not new to our black mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, our BIPOC community, our whatever marginalized community you want to describe, right? This is not a new struggle. And so I was fascinated by the fact that it took something that horrific and grotesque to be a catalyst for people's action. And I thought to myself, well, why does it have to go there? Why can't we create something, turn all that anger and frustration and um, strife that people have and make alchemy with it, right? And so I thought that this is the time. This is the time, Jackie, where you have to figure it out. You can sit in your privilege and your guilt all you want, but get over it, right? Let's turn that into some alchemy that you are so angry that it took other people this long to figure out. So what are you going to do about it? That's what I told myself, right? And I really tried to use what I had at my disposal, what I had access to, because I know I'm so fortunate um, that I have a platform and a voice, but I tried to open that and bring people in and um, more so in a way where these are the people who normally wouldn't engage in activism, right? These are the people that say, oh, I'm not political. We know those people, right? Um, But everything is political. Mm. Everything is, right? You don't get the luxury of saying that and um, and just hoping that things work out for you. And, and maybe you do. That's called privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it was about that. And the other part was about not being okay with the status quo. I am, you know, a Chinese immigrant, queer artist, you know, person of color that happens to work in corporate America, but also happens to have a very active activist heart. And so for me, it's about, I'm no longer going to just, um, just go with, go along with, right. I'm going to make you hear me. I'm going to stand up for the people who cannot stand up for themselves. One of the things that absolutely broke me during this pandemic is seeing all of the anti-Asian violence against the elderly. It destroyed me because I saw my grandfather in the 
I saw my mother in that. I saw, you know, members of my community that are doing everyday things, something as silly and mundane as going to get a cup of boba and being spit on and punched in the face. And I couldn't imagine that. Right. And so I use that and I turned that into alchemy and I said, no more. Right. I'm not going to be quiet and I'm not going to not say things for your comfort, even if it is in a space where I'm not supposed to be political. So. So we come to a close to the, the panel part of our program. We have uh, a reception after, and so I can't wait to see all of you and either fist bump or elbow bump or whatever we're doing to keep each other safe. Uh, I, I have one last thing that I want to say, and then a last question for each of you. We'll take about 30 seconds each to leave folks with some last words. I, I drew inspiration from doing over, I guess, over 100 programs total during COVID-19, virtual and dibble-dabbled in, in person and going through the roller coaster of being able to, not being able to, putting myself at risk or not. But the inspiration I drew were from people who are up here, people are in the audience, my family, my community members, my neighbors, um, colleagues, every single person who had the will to live and to survive despite how incredibly challenging it's been. And so if I know that we have some tough times coming up that it will continue to be challenging. But what warms my heart is that I know that we're all here. And that's, that's the whole point of it. We're supposed to take care of each other. There's no waiting for somebody else to do it or some higher power. This is it. We have us. And that is it. So 30, 30 seconds or so, each one of you can leave us with your thoughts heading into 2022. We know more of this is what we got to do. Mm-hmm. But what would you like to say to the audience? Would you like that? You want sure. Jackie to start? Sure. <laughs> um, for me, it's, it's an ask. It's an ask of all of you. Um, my ask is that you take a moment and you find an opportunity to create beauty every single day. Whether it's paying someone a compliment or doing something nice, picking up a piece of trash you know, in your walkway or whatever it is. Just create beauty create light. It can take five seconds or five minutes, but I promise you that if you make it a daily practice, if we all made it a daily practice, whatever 2022 has, we'll get through it a little bit easier. So that's why I ask. For me, I think it just, um, be kind to each other. Um, be kind to, uh, the people you see in the street, um, support, the um, the small business, your local um, businesses around you, because they need it. Um, Starbucks don't need it, but your small coffee shop <laughs> do. Um, so that's where you make the difference, and mm. um, that's how you help out and um, you know support the little people. So and we'll get to this. Um. Mine would be to, to find joy in even the smallest things like holding someone's hand or laughing or sharing a good bowl of pho. Because um, sometimes we don't realize that there is a lot of joy in our life because we're always told the bad stuff, what to fear and everything like that. But um, yeah, just find and appreciate the, the small joys in your life. love that one. Um, I realized that I've been doing so much of this work from a place of incredible trauma and pain and desperation. So I think changing that narrative to really focusing on our joy, because that is also revolutionary, living in a system Mm -hmm. where we are not supposed to feel joy. We're not supposed to survive. I think joy is truly revolutionary. And um, to add to that, I think doing that in community with each other and also prioritizing rest 
<laughs> who's tired. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I feel like we all need to chill the F out. Um, and uh, I'm constantly reminded that it's so difficult for me to actually allow myself real rest, not just physically, but here mentally, um, because so much of my worth, how I deem myself worthy is through serving other people or being productive and all the messages of capitalism, white supremacy. So I think resting is also part of the revolutionary change that we need to see. So I want, I want everybody to feel worthy of rest Mm -hmm. for the rest of the year and beyond. (laughs) Wow. Uh, You know, we all reacted and did things in the last two years based on two things, love and fear. Mm. I ask each one of you to start with love. Mm. You know, the world isn't ready for many leaders. Definitely trans leadership, black trans leadership is still very much marginalized, not seen. But there is a lot of love. I, my analysis says for every one hater, there's 3.2 lovers. Yes. <laughs> so start with that. But when you st- start with that, let go to the next step and let's be less reactive. The pandemic showed us and we need to be more proactive. And once you have that, be sustainable in your thought process. And finally, I'll say this quickly. You know, we are each one of us activists in our own way. And we can redefine how activism needs to look like. We don't need to be holding the signs and getting out there. We don't need to be fighting. We don't need to be shouting. We don't need to be running a nonprofit. You can do everything you can in your power using your privilege and still be an activist. Redefine that. And I really hope to see a whole lot of you doing that part and taking care of yourself and being amazing as you are. And thank you, Michelle. Thank you to all of our speakers who are here tonight and sharing your thoughts and your love. Let's give another final round of applause for our speakers. Anjali Rimi, Michelle Mijun Kim, Cesar Cadavis, Denise Huynh, and Jacqueline Vivian Chang. Uh, we're about to start our reception, and so just a kind reminder, keep your mask on unless you're actively drinking and eating. We do have artwork for you to enjoy by Jackie that's out there and available for you. And Jackie, a portion of tonight's proceeds will go to a nonprofit, which is? Which is uh, API uh, Law Center. So... Um, it's, of course, I'm just going to be less, less. And you'll be out there and you <laughs> can talk more about it. And then, of course, we have amazing food by uh, Teho and Sabver. <laughs> so make sure you eat up. There's lots of food out there. And Cesar Kadabis, make sure you talk to him about his show that's, uh, that's coming up. And I know in 2022, you're going to continue your one-man show, which is amazing. And, of course, Michelle's got copies of her book right out there if you want to learn more about addressing the white uh, supremacy systems and how to handle it, deal with it. Uh, and then Anjali Rimi, talk to her about how you can help all the work that she's doing with part of our Bay Area and supporting trans uh, women, trans all around the world, but especially in India. I want to give a shout out to Kabir McNeely, who uh, was on the show this year. He's an award-winning filmmaker and did films as a youth addressing mental health during COVID-19. Make sure you say hi to Kabir. Yeah. But there's so many more of you that we all should be saying hello to. Thank you all for joining us online. We will be back in 2022 with brand new programs. So you can check out all those programs at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. Thank you to our sponsors tonight, especially Weatherford BMW, who's a longtime sponsor. I've been with the Michelle Miao show for uh, well, I guess if I answered how many years and you'd know exactly how long I've been doing this. <laughs> um, and lastly, I want to th- you know thank the Commonwealth Club of California. It's been an amazing partnership. John Zipper, vice president of media, has been an incredible partner and voice and co-host and the exceptional, exceptional and talented audio and visual team led by Mark Kirshner. They have gone through this pandemic um, without getting sick and doing this with a lean team. And it's just 
incredible. They've done over nearly a thousand programs together. And so we're truly a family here. Now let's get out there and let's party. Let's get to know each other. Let's say hello. And I cannot thank you enough for being a part of the program. We'll see you next year.